0: This time we have the joyful privilege of witnessing the confession of faith to sons of the congregation. So at this time I ask Spencer Blake to arise and before this congregation, family and friends, but above all before God Almighty, make public confession of your faith in answer to these three questions. First, Do you acknowledge the doctrine contained in the Old and New Testaments and in the articles of the Christian faith and taught here in this Christian church to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation? Secondly, have you resolved by the grace of God to adhere to this doctrine, to reject all heresies repugnant thereto, and to lead a new godly life? Thirdly, Will you submit to church government, and in case you should become delinquent, which may God graciously forbid, to church discipline? Spencer, what is your answer? Blake, what is your answer? You may be seated. On this occasion, I want to read a few words from John 6 for you. Verses 66 through 68. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Those verses were taken to the seaside in Capernaum, and we see two reactions to Jesus' word. This takes place right after the feeding of the 5,000. Many people were very excited about this Jesus who multiplied bread for them in the wilderness, and so they chased him back across the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum, many being eager to see what else this, this Jesus could do for them, many being eager to have this Jesus as their king provided he would be a king for them after their own heart. And immediately before these verses that we read, Jesus explains to the people who he is. He's not a king coming to give a bunch of bread, to fill bellies, to make our earthly lives more pleasant. He's the Savior, who is himself the bread of life. And he is the bread of life who nourishes the souls of his people unto everlasting life. He's a spiritual king who saves from sin, delivers from death. And that's not what a lot of these people wanted. And so, as we read, many who followed Christ for a time turned back. He wasn't the Christ they wanted. And Jesus uses this as a a moment to draw forth a beautiful confession from his disciples. Peter speaks up as the spokesman of the twelve. Jesus says, Will ye also go away? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Spencer, Blake, this morning you echoed Peter. No, you did more than echo. You spoke from the heart and with the mouth what you believe and know to be true that this Jesus, is not only a Savior, but the Savior, and your Savior, and that he has the words of eternal life, and that by faith in him, that eternal life is yours. I believe, therefore I stand with this Christ, and I identify with this Christ. Hold fast to that good confession that you have made, Because Satan's not going to leave you alone. You know that. You know that. But he's going to come at you with many lies. And one of the lies that he loves to set before those who confess their faith is this there's something better out there. A life free from all of the restrictions of the Christian religion. A life in which you can choose your own identity, be who you want to be. A life in which you can indulge the the desires of your sinful flesh. In which you can indulge pride, denying God and living for yourself. The devil will dangle all of those lies in front of you. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Continue in this confession. There is no other to whom we can go. He has the words of eternal life. And to know him is life eternal. Hold fast to your profession. Heaven, earth, its riches, its pleasures, everything passes away. but He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And all those who trust in him shall never be confounded. How? Satan's a lot stronger than you, a lot stronger than me. How? That's the sermon. You asked me to preach on 1 Corinthians 15.10, a text that means something to both of you. That will hold the answer. How? Grace. God's grace, which has drawn this confession from you and which will sustain you to hold fast going forward. And so I want, on this occasion, to speak the blessing of God to you found in 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Let us' in think We turn in the Holy Scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The text we will focus on is verse 10. We will read together verses one through 20. Let us hear the word of God in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ, risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. We read thus far. Verse 10 is the text. But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Beloved in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 is somewhat of a digression from the main subject which the Apostle Paul is pursuing in this chapter of the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the Corinthians one of the fundamental tenets of the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of its most important truths, namely the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as well as the implications of that truth for us the comfort and the hope of life eternal that belongs to the believer on account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now in verses 9 and 10, there's a bit of digression from that main subject of the apostle. And there are a few possibilities why the apostle digresses at this point. One suggestion is that he is defending his apostleship. There is reason for that. There were some in Corinth that opposed the Apostle Paul and said, Who are you to be an Apostle? Look at your life. You persecuted the church of God. How can you be like Peter or John or the others? Here we see Paul does not get defensive, but humbly acknowledges the sinful way in which he walked in the past. But a better explanation, though that may be in the background, is simply that Paul here is recounting the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because there were some in Corinth who were teaching that the dead rise not. And he explains how Jesus did arise and how he was seen by many, seen by the apostles. And he goes through the list of the sightings of Jesus Christ after his resurrection until he concludes with Jesus' last appearance to him, the least of the apostles. And then Paul moves to a personal reflection on that gospel that came to him. A reflection upon the grace given. And here we can be very, very thankful for the inspired digression of the Apostle. Because we are given this beautiful confession that is verse 10 of the chapter. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That is Paul's personal confession. And the heart of that confession is sola gratia. That reformation saying we're familiar with, meaning by grace alone. He reflects on the sinful way in which he walked, and that only magnifies the grace of God to him, which has brought him from there to here, where he is now as a believer, and not only that, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the explanation? Grace alone. Grace alone. That's the focus of this text. Grace. That word leaps off the page. It appears three times in verse 10 alone. Grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. The grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Grace. Grace. This confession of the apostle is also the believer's confession. It is your confession and it is my confession. And the scriptures lead us to make that confession from the heart. Who are we? Of ourselves, we are nothing. Of ourselves, we are unworthy sinners. But by the grace of God, we are what we are now. Believers. Children of the living God. Spencer and Blake, this is your confession. To your confession today. This text defines for you who you are. What your identity is. How you are to live by the grace of God. You are what you are. Saying of that in Psalter 383, this versification of Psalm 139 speaks first of all of creation. All that we are, we owe to God our creator. But these words can also be applied to God's work of salvation. By grace, all that I am, I owe to thee. Thy grace, Lord, hath fashioned me. This confession then leads to praise. I give my maker, I give my savior, thankful praise, whose wondrous works of grace my soul amaze. Let's enter into this confession of the Apostle Paul. Under the theme, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's notice first, what I am. Secondly, how I am. And finally, why I am. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, the Apostle Paul makes this personal confession, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's take those words, I am what I am, first and look at them. I am what I am. This is Paul's statement of his new identity. What I am now, the Apostle is saying, is different than what I once was. He was an unbeliever and a persecutor of the church of Christ. Paul reflects upon that humbly and with a tinge of grief in verse 9 of the chapter. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Scripture tells us much about Paul's past life. And indeed Paul himself in his epistles is not shy to speak about what he once was. Where do we first meet Paul in the pages of scripture? Holding coats. Holding the coats of those furious men who were casting stones upon Stephen the first martyr of the New Testament church. And this Saul would not be content merely to hold coats, but quickly became the ringleader of the persecution of the early church in Jerusalem. Saul made havoc of the church. He scattered the believers from Jerusalem, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Indeed, Paul then called Saul, labored more abundantly than all the enemies of Christ. Paul reflects on that in Galatians 1 verses 13-14 through where he says, Beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, This is what I was, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. Paul was an enemy of God, lost in sin and blind to it persecuting the church of God and in so doing thinking he was serving God. He was in fact a slave to sin in opposition to God and the cause of God. He hated Christ and Christ's gospel. He was an unbeliever, a persecutor. That's what Paul was. Paul reflects upon that. And in reflecting upon that Though it pains him, yet it also lifts his soul to speak the joyful words of this text. Because though that is what he was, no longer. I once was lost. An unbeliever. Persecutor. But by God's grace, no more. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Am, and there Paul speaks of his new identity in Jesus Christ. He wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a man changed by that Holy Spirit. Not an unbeliever, a believer, not a persecutor, but an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we recall the history of the first work of God's grace when Christ himself appeared to the apostle Then Saul, the persecutor, on the road to Damascus. And by the power of Christ, there was a complete reversal in Saul's life. The unbeliever now believes. The persecutor is now the preacher. And what does he preach? The faith that he once destroyed. Paul believes that gospel. And that gospel, that gospel of grace is at the heart of his confession here. That gospel which he describes in the opening verses... Of the chapter, especially verses 3 and 4. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul preaches this gospel and he believes this gospel. It's a gospel not only for others, but it's a gospel for him. Christ died for him to cover his sins. His persecution of the church. The wickedness in which he walked. Christ has risen for him to give him new life. And the fruit of that powerful grace of God is that he who once scattered the church now travels throughout the world through perils, To establish the church. He who once afflicted believers now is afflicted with them. And suffers for Christ's sake. He who is zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Now counts all things but loss for the excellency of knowing Christ. And being found in him. Not with his own righteousness by the law. Which is no righteousness at all. But the righteousness of Christ which is by faith in Jesus Christ. The one who we first met holding the coats of those who stoned Stephan. Is one who himself was stoned for the cause of the gospel. One who could even say as he does in this text. I labored. Labored. In the preaching of the gospel. Labored more abundantly than they all. Referring to the other apostles. And in saying that Paul isn't boasting. But he's magnifying the grace of God, which was not in vain, that grace which was given him, which brought forth such zealous labor for the cause of the gospel. This is Paul. This is his identity. This is his confession. By the grace of God, I am not what I once was. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Though the chief of sinners, Saved by grace, a believer, a child of God, a slave of Jesus Christ, an apostle. Your experience in mine is very different from Paul's. For most of us, many of us, we were born in the church. We've known the faith of Jesus Christ from our earliest days. We weren't suddenly changed by the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ on a road. And yet, though Paul's experience is different than ours, his confession is ours. The same as ours. Because the wonderful change, That God worked in the Apostle Paul is the change that he works in each and every one of his elect children. That he calls out of darkness into his light. This is our confession. By the grace of God, I am what I am. What are you? What is your identity? Not. What we once were. We also have a new identity in Jesus Christ. To see that, let's remember what Scripture says about what we once were. Scripture has much to say. We may not have walked in such open unbelief as Paul did But we share the same sinful nature that Paul had. We are no better than he. And we, as well as he, are conceived and born in sin, subject to all misery, yea, to condemnation itself. And that God-hating nature that was so violently manifest in the apostle Paul, that's your nature. That's my nature. We are as prone to hate God and the neighbor as Paul was when he breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Ephesians 2 verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's who we are by nature and that is what we must confess. I was dead in trespasses and sins. But then God, but then God worked salvation for me. And that salvation changes everything. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. When I was yet his enemy, Christ reconciled me to God by his death. And having reconciled me, he now saves me by his life, gives me new life, and by his spirit. Gives me a new identity in Him. Now understand, that does not mean we have no more sin. We still have our old man. And our old man is as totally depraved as he ever was. And we will have him till the day that we die. And God's work of sanctification is complete. Part of our confession is to say with Paul in Romans 7 verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But now this is the point. That's not all there is to me anymore. I have a new spiritual identity in Christ. New life in Christ. I am a sinner And I confess yet with Paul, I am chief of sinners. But my identity is no longer rooted there, sinner. But my identity is in Christ. What I am in Him. He died for me. And I have died to sin in Him. He is risen for me. And with Him, I am risen unto newness of life. As the Apostle says in his second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17. I am a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away, behold all things are become new. God has worked a wonderful change in my inmost being. He has taken away my cold, stony heart of unbelief and given me a heart of flesh, one that throbs and beats with the new life of Christ. This is what I am. This Believer, congregation, beloved, this is your confession. By the grace of God, I am not what I once was, dead in sin, lost, but I am what I am. A new creature in Christ, a believer, a member of Christ, a member of His church, a child of God, a co-heir of grace. With the rest of God's elect blood-bought, bound and belonging to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of the promises of His gospel, they're for me, not only to others, but to me is freely given, merely of grace, forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation. To me, chief of sinners though I be, not only to others, Zacchaeus, the chief publican, Paul, the chief persecutor, but to me, chief of sinners, is this grace given? Spencer and Blake, when you answered those three questions a short while ago. In your answer, yes, you said the words of this text. You said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who has given me new life. I am what I am because of him and what he has done for me. Because of his cross, because of his empty tomb. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And now as a fruit of that grace, you take hold of all that is pictured by your baptism. That's mine I love it I believe it your identity is in Christ in Christ and now you have identified yourselves with him publicly as a member of his church as a soldier in his army as his follower hold fast to that confession be who god made you to be, not just who He created you to be, but who His grace has made you to be. And now, the life you want to live and the life you are resolved to live is the life of faith, a life which walks in love, labors abundantly in thankfulness to Him, to Him who first loved you and gave Himself for you. We've seen what we are. How am I what I am? How are you what you are? How are you a believer, a child of God, an heir of everlasting life? What explains your new identity, your new life, One word. The word that bears all of the emphasis in the text. The word that really didn't want to wait till the second point to be talked about. Because it's what the text is all about. Grace. Grace. By the grace of God. God, I am what I am. There's the explanation for what I am. There's the explanation for why I am not what I once was, but I am what I am now. One word. Grace. God's grace. God's grace explains everything about Paul. It explains why he is no longer the unbeliever, the persecutor, walking in the darkness and bondage of sin. Grace explains how you Are not what you once were. Grace explains why you. Are not dead anymore. But alive. Sola gratia. By grace alone. I am what I am. That's our confession. And that's the heart of it. By grace. We love grace, we're familiar with grace, we talk about grace all the time. We find grace everywhere in the scriptures because it is everywhere, but what is it? What is grace? So much can be said about grace, but we can summarize it using three terms. And we can remember those terms because they begin, each of them do, with A. Three A's. Grace. The grace of God is first of all an attribute of God's being. God's attributes are the perfections of his divine being. And grace is one of those perfections. The root meaning of the word grace is beauty or pleasantness, charm. And the idea then is that God is the supremely beautiful one. And that beauty is not merely a surface level external beauty that catches the eye. But it is true spiritual beauty that is rooted in Ethical perfection, that is, the goodness and the purity of God's own being. He is grace. He is the overflowing fountain of all grace. The text speaks of the grace of God. That is, grace which has its source in God, which flows from the very being of the one true God. Earlier we heard 1 Peter 5.10, which described God this way. The God of all grace. All true grace is of God. Of God. Grace is an attribute of God. It's His spiritual beauty rooted in His own perfection. But now... Grace, which is an attribute of God, is also the attitude of favor, which the gracious God has towards his elect people in Jesus Christ. An attribute of God's being and an attitude of his favor. God's grace is his attitude of undeserved favor. We know that definition and it's a good one. Undeserved favor which he bestows upon unworthy sinners, such as Paul and you and me, sinners who have forfeited every claim to God's goodness or blessing. Grace is a divine attitude. That means this is how God views us. This is how God thinks about us. This is how God regards his people despite our unworthiness. Think of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the idea of that is not that Noah was so good that God saw his goodness and liked what he saw. And so he had grace on Noah. No, the idea is God looked upon Noah with gracious eyes. God's eyes toward Noah were full of favor. Unmerited favor for this man whom he chose and loved before the foundation of the world. God has eyes full of grace towards his people. Undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Not because you're so good. You're not. Not because there's something in you that God saw that made you attractive to him. No. By nature we're dead in trespasses and sins. By nature we deserve condemnation. By nature we are spiritually ugly and repulsive. Grace is God's favor which he freely bestows upon us though we don't deserve it. And the key words then are in Christ. Undeserved favor bestowed upon us in Christ. Christ is the explanation for how God can have this favor. God is a holy God. He cannot behold iniquity. Sin cannot dwell with him. He is just. He must punish and destroy the evildoer. How then can he have favor on you and me? Christ. The sinless, suffering Savior who took your place before the judgment seat of God and took your burden of guilt upon Him and took it so that He might pay for it. And He paid for it by bearing the crushing burden of God's holy wrath against your sin and mine so that our guilt is wiped away, our debt is canceled, and He has obtained, merited for us, forgiveness, righteousness, life. Christ. Was full of grace and truth. In Christ. See how God can have favor. Upon us. Unworthy sinners. Grace is an attribute of God's being. Grace is an attitude of undeserved favor. Upon his elect people in Jesus Christ. And now third. Grace is almighty power. Almighty power. The almighty power by which. God works savingly. By which God works savingly for his people and in his people to deliver us from sin and death. It's an attribute, it's an attitude, and it's an almighty power. And that's especially what the text is emphasizing here. Grace Was the almighty power of God that operated in Paul's life. That made him different than what he once was. That translated him out of darkness into light. Out of death into life. Power. The very almighty power of God to save. Comes out everywhere in the text. By grace I am what I am. I am now what I am. Because God's grace made me what I am. That's power. Power. Paul goes on to say, the grace bestowed upon me was not in vain. Literally, the grace toward me. The grace that flowed to me from God was not in vain. That is, it wasn't empty. It wasn't unfruitful. It wasn't ineffective. It was the opposite. It was powerful. It was full. It brought forth fruit. It was, as we say in theology effectual. Powerful to accomplish its intended effect without fail. That was the grace of God. A power. And so we see God's grace isn't just his attitude, but it's his powerful activity working for us and in us to save us. God doesn't just have eyes full of grace for his people. He has hands full of grace, hands that bring that grace and apply that grace by the Spirit of Christ to his people. Of this almighty grace, Paul confesses, By grace I am what I am. Paul looks at what he was. He looks at what he has been made to be. And there is only one explanation. This grace of God is the explanation. And nothing else. Without this grace, Paul says, I am nothing. Nothing but a lost, perishing sinner but with this grace i have everything paul's confession is an absolute statement let's take note of that there's all of reformed soteriology here that is the reformed doctrine of salvation it's packed into paul's words here by the grace of god i am what i am paul doesn't say by the grace of god i am some of what i am Paul doesn't reserve anything for himself as if there's something that he is or something that he has done of himself which has contributed to what he is now. Something he did to get him from over here to where he is now. No. By the grace of God I am what I am. By grace alone. Paul didn't make himself. Paul didn't conf- convert himself. Paul didn't turn his own life around by his own power. Grace did not come to Paul and knock on the door of his heart and beg to come in if only Paul would let him. If only Paul would exercise his free will to lay hold of that offered grace. There's nothing of that in this text. By the grace of God, read, the almighty saving power of God, I am what I am. Grace did not begin a good work in Paul. Then leave it up to Paul to finish that good work. Nor is it the case that Paul first made some improvement in his life. He did some good works. He labored. And then grace came to him. Then grace was bestowed upon him. No. By the grace of God. I am what I am. The grace which was bestowed upon me. Was not in vain. I labored. Paul's labor. All of his labor, all of his good works, all of his preaching of the gospel, it all was the fruit of that grace given him freely. When that grace took possession of him on the road to Damascus and turned him around from unbelieving persecutor to believing apostle to the Gentiles. Grace made Paul esteem all things lost for the excellency of knowing Christ. Grace. Grace alone. That's the thrust of the language that Paul uses when he says in the middle of the verse, The grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul there isn't denying that he was the conscious subject of that labor. Of course he was. Paul labored. But the source, the power by which that labor was done was not of him. It was God which worked in him both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God gave him grace. God worked in him. And Paul lived out of that work of God in him. And thus Paul ascribes all the glory, all the credit, everything. To God and reserves none for himself. It's by the grace of God alone that I am what I am. Grace alone explains the Apostle Paul. All his labor, all his bearing of suffering, everything that he did, all of the missionary journeys, all of the sermons preached, all of the epistles written. His testimony before kings, all the way to Caesar in Rome, by the grace of God. Again, we come to the application to ourselves. Paul is not in a category by himself. Paul is a believer like you and me. A sinner saved by grace. And this is our confession too. I am what I am. I am not what I was. I am not dead anymore, but I am alive in Jesus Christ. How am I what I am? Sola gratia. Grace alone. That explains my identity. That explains why I believe, why I repent, why I look to Christ for my salvation. It is not I, but the grace of God God's grace working in me brings forth this fruit of faith, of repentance, of a new life. God is the cause. His grace is the power. I give to Him all the credit and all the glory. My place, my position in the body of Christ as a believer, whatever that place may be, by the grace of God, I am what I am. My whole life. All that I am, I owe to Thee my whole life. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am the workmanship of grace. My life is the workmanship of God's grace. And there's an application for us to see too. Our lives, our life's pathways, have many twists and turns. There are ruts, there are pits that we've fallen into. We're responsible for our sins. We are. We sorrow for them like Paul did as he sorrowed for his sin of persecuting the church. And yet, that wasn't outside of God's control. It wasn't beyond the reach of His grace. No, I am what I am by the grace of God. And that includes all my experience, my whole life's pathway. I am what I am by the grace of God. God uses sovereignly, powerfully, mysteriously, even those worst parts of our life for good. You see that in the apostle Paul, how God used his past. To inflame him with zeal for being that apostle to the Gentiles that he was. He looked back on when he was lost. And that filled him with zeal for bringing the gospel to the lost. I am what I am by the grace of God. You are what you are by the grace of God. When the catechism the first Lord's Day says... All things must be subservient to my salvation. It means all things. All our labor. In the home. In the workplace. In the school. Everywhere. We labor by the grace of God. Parents. Parent. By the grace of God. Teachers teach by the grace of God. Students study, learn, grow in the grace of God. Spencer and Blake. This is perhaps the most essential ingredient of your confession this morning. You've confessed what you are. Your identity in Christ. How? By the grace of God. Grace that took hold of you. You confess you're a sinner. By nature dead in trespasses and sin. But that grace took hold of you. That grace has made you what you are. That grace has brought from your heart and mouth this confession. Honor the God of all grace. Worship Him with your words and your life. I am what I am by the grace of God. And going forward trust. Earlier we talked about the temptations, the lies that the devil will set before you. Remember what Paul said because it's going to be true for you too. The grace of God that was bestowed upon me was not in vain. God's grace will not be in vain for you either. The grace of God will be with you, strengthening you. Depend on the power of God's grace. Labor for His glory by the power of that grace. Finally, why? Why I am. The why, as well as the what and the how is found. That one word, grace. Grace is how I am what I am. Grace is why I am. What God has made me to be. You understand that when God gives grace, when God works by that almighty saving power, God has a purpose. Grace is always purposeful. And grace has a purpose When it saves, when it takes a spiritually dead sinner and translates that sinner into the new life of Jesus Christ, grace has a purpose. Grace's purpose is always glory. Grace takes the child of God from glory unto glory. Grace glorifies, but now the chief purpose is not our glory. The purpose of grace is God's glory. And the wonderful thing about God's eternal counsel. And God's plan of salvation. And the way he executes that plan of salvation. Is that he glorifies himself supremely by glorifying us. He glorifies himself supremely by taking us out of the darkness of sin and death. And bringing us into the light of life eternal with him. God supremely glorifies himself. By gathering us into his fellowship through the work of Jesus Christ. So that our greatest good is inseparably wedded to God's glory. You think of Ephesians 1 verse 6. Which teaches us that we are predestined and adopted through Jesus Christ. Unto the praise of his glorious grace. That's the why. Grace is given. So that grace, as it brings forth its fruits, may redound to the greater glory of the God of all grace. That's why I am what I am. That's why God made you what you are. That you, as his child saved by grace, may be a reflector of his beauty and that you, in all of life and into eternity future may be for the praise of his glorious grace that 's how Paul sees it that's how we are to see it too, and that infuses much joy in the, into the making of this confession, does it not? This infuses much joy into the living of the Christian life, does it not? This infuses much joy into the battle of the Christian life which can be so hard and wearisome. It's all for the glory of the God of all grace who has bestowed his grace upon me. Unworthy sinner that I am. And now I have this privilege. I have this privilege having been bought with the blood of Christ. To live henceforth unto him. Confessing him in the midst of this world. Shining as a light in the midst of the darkness. For the praise is glorious grace. That's the meaning of life. Everyone's looking to answer that question. What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? And the world looks for an answer to that question in all of its idols, in all of the pleasures of the world. And it's vanity. Meaning, purpose, of life. It's giving glory to the God of all grace. By grace, I am what I am. By grace, I give all the glory to God. That's the purpose of your life, Spencer and Blake. That's the meaning of life. Go forward with that in your heart. I am what I am by God's grace, and I am what I am that I may give glory to the God of all grace. Sola gratia by grace alone. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen. Faithful God and Father. The God of all grace. We thank and we praise Thee for salvation by grace. That we who were dead in sin, Thou hast made alive. And that by the grace of Thee our God, we are what we are. Thy children and heirs. Bless this truth to our hearts. Grant us abundant grace. That we may live purposefully unto thee. To give thee the glory. Bless this word to the hearts. The young men who have made confession of their faith. That they may crown that confession. With a life lived. To the praise of thy glorious grace. This we ask through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.